Hello, everybody. Bonjour à tous. It is so good to see you this evening. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here with my wife, Tracy. And uh, many of you know Tracy. And we also have some guests on the screen that are uh, going to be sharing with us this evening. And so we'll introduce them in just a minute. But let me give a little context on uh, what all of this is about this evening. We started a new series, a teaching series on Sunday, where for the next six weeks, we're going to be studying the six habits of healthy people. And with that, some of it actually even lines up in contrast to the, uh, the seven deadly sins. And uh, so when you put those together, the opposite of the seven deadly sins are really the six or seven healthy habits. And so we got started this Sunday in the teaching by looking at our identity and realizing that it is almost impossible for us to change our behavior in any lasting way without first understanding who we are, our identity. And so we have some special guests, Tracy, uh, with us this evening who uh, we love and appreciate and respect. And so first, if I could introduce Debbie Curry. And uh, Debbie, if you could tell a little bit about uh, what your ministry role is here at the church and, and some of your experience in leadership. I'd love to. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Pastor Joel. Um, again, my name is Debbie Curry. Uh, my husband, Brian, and I, we... Um, have been involved in several things. We've been coming to Moncton Wesleyan for over 25 years now. And uh, we teach a discipleship program called Cleansing Stream. Uh, we also lead the uh, our prayer team at Moncton Wesleyan. Uh, we have a small group. Um, I do a little bit of mentoring. I'm on the board <laughs> and I'm also on the leadership team of uh, More for Moms. So uh, I love it. <laughs> As you can tell, we deeply appreciate Debbie's ministry here at the church, along with her husband, Brian, who also uh, serves in our prayer team, providing leadership there as well. So Debbie, thank you so much for joining us tonight, because I know that your experience in leadership over the years is in great part based on helping people understand what God says about them rather than what the world says about them. And so now uh, we'd also like to introduce Dr. Tanya Lake, who comes to us live this evening from Michigan. Michigan. Yes, we are so glad to yeah. see you tonight, Dr. Tanya Lake. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do uh, for your work and, and how this relates? Sure. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I um, I have a, a doctorate in nursing practice, um, so I am a nurse practitioner with a specialty in psychiatry. Um, so I work with um, people all day long um, with various issues with mental illness, um, which obviously you can uh, imagine um, has a lot to do with their identities and how they feel about themselves and um, so that's what I spend my days doing. Excellent. And uh, Dr. Lake is also a good friend of Tracy's. 
And she was with yeah. us in Israel this year on the trip that we had right before all the lockdowns took place back in early March. And uh, Tracy, just before we came in tonight, you were talking with a conversation that you had had with Tanya about this subject just recently related to some of her patients. And could you open with that? Yeah. So Monday night, uh, Tanya and I were meeting. We were actually doing a Bible study together. And um, we were just talking about this thing that we were going to be talking about tonight. And I said, you know, in the context of you meeting with your clients, I said, you know, do you find that a big issue for many of them would would come down to, at its root, an, an identity issue? And she said, absolutely. And so then my question to her, and I'll ask it here and let her answer, but my question to her was, so what would be the thing, what would be the lie that many of your patients believe about themselves that causes them to really struggle? And so, Tanya, what what did you say was your, your answer for that? Because I thought it was really sad and interesting. Yeah, so the, the main... Um the main thing I normally hear from people is that they feel like they're worthless. People don't feel like they have a lot of worth in the world. They don't feel like they have a lot of meaning, um, whether it's to family, friends, themselves. Um, worthless is the, is the word that I hear the most. Oh. Mm. And Tanya, where would you say that that comes from when people's identity, in, when you meet with them and they mm -hmm. say that what they feel most is worthless. Uh, what do you see as some of the root of that feeling? I would say the majority has to do with um, upbringing, um, how, how people were raised, things that happened to, may have happened to them when they were younger, um, and how they transitioned um, into adulthood. I, I only work with adults, so I don't see um, kids and teenagers specifically um, so we're often looking back on situations that happened when they were younger that led to their sense of or lack of feeling of worth. Mm. And Debbie, I think you could speak to this as well, that when people feel worthless, many times, as Tanya said, it comes from their childhood and parents who spoke negative prophecies, if you will, over them, basically spoke words of cursing, making them feel that they're worthless. Uh, Debbie, what have you seen in working with people related to that subject? Well, I would totally agree with Tanya. And in our cleansing, screen, cleansing stream program, we actually have a whole section called Speak Words of Life and the power of words and that we can... Um, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can reject the words spoken over us. We don't have to receive them, um, but some of them have received them for years and years and years. And so now we have to help them uh, receive all that the Holy Spirit has for them to replace the lie, because all of these terrible thoughts that they have about themselves are lies. Mm. Um, we are the righteousness of God when we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so to replace the lie with the truth of who they are in Christ and, and to see that transformation is just so joyful. It's just amazing. Mm. As you both said, so many of the issues that we face as adults a lot of times they have a root 
in our childhood. And Satan specializes in taking those little seeds that get planted by other people. Things that people said about us, things that our parents said about us. And then Satan loves to just drive that down deep into your spirit. And, uh, and it has patterns that develop throughout the rest of your life. Uh, Tracy, <laughs> my sister yeah. has 10 children, my sister Beth. And uh, we had just an amazing conversation with Beth and Steve, her husband, when we were expecting our first child. And could you tell us a little bit about that conversation? Yeah, we were talking to Beth and Steve as uh, I call them experts. They would not claim that that's uh, true of them, but I think it is. They were definitely experts at raising kids uh, compared to us since we were just getting started and they had 10. Um, but one of the things that they said that's really important as a parent to keep in mind is when your children are near you and even when they're not, even if they're in another room, um, it doesn't matter where your kids are. You need to be mindful. We need to be mindful. We, we must be um, aware of how important it is that we are mindful of the words that we say about our kids. A very common thing that we can slide into as parents when we're tired, you know, because you get very tired some days when you're uh, managing children. Lots of little kids running around and uh, you're exhausted. It's easy to slide into a pattern of speaking about that exhaustion and that tiredness, um, if there's any irritation or stress or whatever, in regards to who your children are and then being the cause of it. Um, people tend to say things like, oh, those little monsters. Mm. You know, we don't want to speak to our children right. as monsters. They're blessings from the Lord, Scripture says. We, we don't want to, you know, say things about how we can't wait until our kids are in another place, whether it's we can't wait for them to go away to summer camp or we can't wait for them to go away to school. That, that says to our children, I mean, imagine if you're a small child and you hear your parents say that, that says my mom and dad don't want to be around me. Yeah. I'm not a joy to them. They don't like me. You know, and I don't think parents, when they say that, especially at the, in the middle of summer break when they are tired, I don't think they mean it. Um, but a child doesn't know that. And that's, uh, you know, a child will hear that and who knows how it may mark them negatively for years to come. And so being mindful that we speak blessing and positive things over, about, and for our children. And I'm going to throw in here not only mm. our children, but our spouses. Mm. It's easy. It's so easy to slide into a pattern of saying negative things just to be funny in a joking way. Yeah. Um, but it, it adds up, and it adds up in a negative way sometimes for people. Yeah. Would, would both of you, uh, Tanya and Debbie, maybe speak into that, uh, how our words that we speak over other people have an impact on their identity. Well, um, I, for me, uh, I feel that Brian and I, we have always uh, been very careful with our words around our children. I don't know what teaching or what we had in our upbringing that made us aware of that. Um, I was one of those moms who cried when her kids went back to school in the fall. I loved having them home. So that was never an issue. But I do have a funny story. Um, when, uh, when Melissa was almost five, it was, this happened in January, and she would have been five in February. And we had 18 months previous, we had lost a child, our third uh, child. He was our first son. 
Um, and I had since gotten pregnant and lost that child in miscarriage at 16 weeks. Mm. Um, it was very traumatic. I almost bled out. It was, it was a very rough experience. So here it is like four weeks later and I'm taking Melissa to kindergarten. She's in her car seat in the back seat and I'm, I'm driving her. I can see her in the rear view mirror. And all of a sudden, right out of the blue, she says, mommy, when are we having another baby? And, and my heart just exploded. Like, I just wanted to scream, never, this is never, you know, I was just in such agony. But I said, I don't know, honey, what do you think we should do? And her response was, I think we should do it till we get it right. Mm. <laughs> At four, almost five years old. And I'll never forget that story because it taught me, regardless of what pain I might be in, my words and how I speak to my children is very, very important. And, uh, and I feel that we have, Brian and I both have uh, stood by that, bringing up our children and now our grandchildren. Our words we recognize are very important mm. and can be held on to and can be misinterpreted. So mm. it's really important to speak clearly and, it's, and to, that everything is based in love. Just, yeah. That's good. And uh, Tanya, I'm going to address that question to you as well. But I do want to stop and just mention with all the people who are with us online right now live, if you have any questions that you would like to ask our panel this evening, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, Tim is our moderator behind the scenes, and, and we might not be able to get to all of the questions, but we'll do our best this evening. So we'd love to hear from you in the comments if you have anything that you would like to add. But... Uh, Dr. Lake, would you share with us a little bit about what that means for you as a, as a therapist when you have people who have owned all of these negative things that have been spoken over them? They feel worthless, as you said. That's the number one thing you said that you hear from people in struggling with their identity. And so what do you do to help them? Yeah, you know, as you can imagine, it's um, they come in and they they tell you things like that. I I there's a lot that we go through before we get to that point. Um, most people come in and they come to see me because they're depressed and anxious and um, they they need medication, and then we get around to talking about why they feel the way that they do, um, and that's when this uh, history stuff starts to come out. And they talk about not feeling like they're important, like they have a lot to offer, like they're feeling worthless, hopeless, helpless. Um, so a lot of times I will take them back. We go back, we discuss over it, you know, over some of the things that they had gone through um, and try to reframe it for them a little bit. Mm. Um, and I'm, I, I'm awful, always careful with my words with people when they're in my office, um, always trying to give them encouragement for taking steps, just an, enough to, just telling them um, you're doing great, taking the steps to help yourself uh, do better, make changes. Um, and just that is enough to see people's uh, spirit perk up, their countenance is different after they hear words of affirmation, um, it's just very, it's, it's so very important. And even um, as Debbie was speaking, I was thinking of a personal 
um, episode with my own son, where, um, you know, we all know that it's been difficult the last year. School has been in and out. He's been in and out of school, face-to-face school, and it's been very frustrating. And helping him get his schoolwork done has been frustrating. And I have even found with him and, and talking with him and the words that I use, if I'm very negative about it with him, yeah. sometimes uh, saying, can you just please get the work done? And just watching the, the joy drain from his face, as opposed to if I were to say, hey, buddy, you know, what can I do to help you get it done? You've been working hard. I know that you're trying to do the best that you can. This is not an ideal situation for any of us. And then seeing the difference between the the joy leaving his face or his his spirit lighting up again because he's he's feeling wanted and um like he he's going to be helped and it just makes a big difference um the words that we use mm, that's good and if from I a might, spiritual perspective go ahead debbie i just was wanted to add uh, if you don't mind um in our in the cleansing stream program one of the things main things i think we've seen uh, with Christians is that a lot of them believe that stuffing their feelings is okay. Mm. And that stuffing is healing. And that's one of the things that we try to bring out. And I'm sure, I'm sure Donnie has seen, has seen a lot of that, um, mm. but that stuffing is not okay. That, that we do have to bring them to the service. We do have to talk about these things and, and receive the healing that God has for us. Mm. That's good. And you know, from a spiritual perspective, and we studied this Sunday the book of Ephesians, uh, we, we laid out the, the, uh, the structure of Ephesians and how before you can change negative behaviors and habits in your life, that first you need to change your perspective, that our identity in Christ is foundational to being able to make lasting, significant changes to the habits and unhealthy behaviors that we've gotten locked into. And so what Satan loves to do, you know, in the spiritual realm, we have an enemy who is always whispering in our ear, Scripture says, and he is telling us lies, especially when we're as Christians. He wants us to not know and own the identity of what God says about us. And so that lie that Satan says, you are worthless, uh, Dr. Lake said that is the number one thing that she hears with clients, with patients, you are worthless. Well, that is the exact opposite of the, what, the truth of what God says about you, that you are significant. You are so significant that, jo- uh, that God launched an all-out rescue mission into this world for the, your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus died on the cross for you. That's how significant you are. And so the enemy loves to whisper those lies in our ears and tell us that we are not what God says we are. And then sometimes we speak those things over ourselves, Tracy. Like we will, uh, we will say things about ourselves. Yes. And we were talking about that. I remember Tracy had, I don't remember how many years ago it was, maybe five years ago. I think it was more than that. Six years ago. Okay. Yeah. But uh, we called it the year of yes. <laughs> what was the year of yes, Tracy? I don't know how it started. Um, I am not a person who um, sets out resolutions every year and like, I'm not, 
a person who sits down and has a list of goals that I want to accomplish. But for some reason, something happened in 2012. It was like the Lord, he just, he was talking to me mm-hmm. in that quiet but firm way that he does. And um, he was talking to me about something and he wouldn't let it go. And I don't think this is the case, but my mother and my husband both say I'm stubborn. <laughs> I, I don't think that's true. I'm, I'm rejecting that. Um, but uh, it is true. It is true. I am stubborn. And one of the things that I had said for years, and it's not really a terrible thing to say about yourself, but I had always said, I'm not a runner. I don't run. I hate running. I'm not going to run. If I'm running, it's because a bear is chasing me, and you all should start running as well. But I'll be the last one because I'm so slow, so don't worry about it anyway. Um, but that was something that I kept saying over and over and over, and it, it was just a block in my mind. I, I don't run. I'm not going to run. I hate running, and I can't do it. And that was the thing that the Lord kind of zeroed in on when he was talking to me and challenging me in the way that I talked to myself and, and roadblocks and, and things that I would put up in, in my own mind about my ability to do things and, and what I could do and what I might be capable of. And so I was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll start running. <laughs> I mean, anybody who knows me knows that that was from the Lord. That was not from me. I had no desire or want to run for any reason. But I was like, all right, I guess I'll do this couch to 5K thing. So I download the app and I start doing couch to 5K. And it's not, it wasn't horrible in the beginning because they start you out very, very gradually. Um, but uh, I remember telling Joel that... Um, I thought he would enjoy doing it. So Joel started joining me and all that. And so anyway, I got to the point where I could do a 5K. It was not easy. I almost broke out in tears when I crossed the finish line of my first 5K. I remember getting there and I'm like, I can't believe I did it. I ran the whole thing without stopping. You know, I'd had challenges with that when I was a kid. I had asthma growing up. And so breathing, especially when running, was a challenge. And so I think I had that in my mind. Um, as, as one of my roadblocks, but it, it really, for me, it was more than a physical thing to do that, to overcome that barrier. It was completely a mental thing. It was a mental thing. And so then, you know, there were other things I did that year that I'd never done before that I was like, I don't think I'm any good at it, but I'm going to try it. So I had a garden. Do you remember? I grew potatoes in a trash can. <laughs> and, and I mean, it did work. It did work somewhat. I had some tomatoes in what the backyard. What I remember from I wasn't the year a big... of yes was... Uh, we've always said we're not campers. No, I've never camped. I'm and like, so why would people camp? That doesn't we went sound camping like fun. that year. We did. We packed up our kids. We slept in a tent. And we've only done it once. We did it once, but we had we had a good time. We but had we a good said time. yes. But it was, you know, how many times do we say to ourselves, "I can't do this," or "I won't do it," "I'm not going to be good at it," "I won't enjoy it," and for all you know, it could be something that you would be great at. Um, I, I agree, Tracy. I used to say quite regularly, especially around the mothers, the, the more for moms, uh, seeing all these young moms doing all the things they do. I used to say, I don't have a creative bone in my body, you know, <laughs> big joke. And I've, I, I, many, many times I've said it. And then one day I said yeah. it and the Holy Spirit just said, you have the creator of all things living inside of you. What mm. are you speaking out loud? And, and yeah. I haven't said it since. Mm. <laughs> it's like, I, I have great creativity. I have an imagination that the Holy Spirit writes on, and I love it. <laughs> That's good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we have a friend uh, in Alabama who wrote a book about... Yes. I think she called it The Quiet Heart. Is that the name of the book? I'll look at that. The author is Susan Bowman. Uh, she's a friend of ours, 
And uh, Susan, in this book, she talks a lot about inner vows that we make. And many times those inner vows start with words like, I will never again. And so, for example, when we open up our heart and trust someone, love someone, and receive love from them, and then they break our heart, we will make an inner vow that says, I will never again trust someone like that. And then we don't realize that that inner vow locked us into a pattern that in trying to protect our heart, actually isolated our heart from trusting and loving. And so people will end up years later in these lonely, desolate places in bondage to Satan, the lies of the enemy, because they've made these vows. Something happens and they say, I will never again, or that's not who I am, or, you know, or things that, that our parents said over us, as, as Tanya was talking about, uh, how you know, parents will say negative things over a child, and then we'll internalize that, and that inner vow is, this is who I am. And so then, years later, those patterns get stuck, get locked in, and many times we don't understand why we, can, we can't break free. And many times the reason we can't break free is because we have made a vow with ourselves. And really, in many ways, that vow has opened the door to allow Satan to have control in our, life, uh, in our lives in that area. And, uh, and then that bondage just turns into a repeating cycle. And God wants, through the truth of his word, to reveal who we really are so that we can break those vows that we've made, those curses that we've spoken over ourselves or we've internalized what other people have spoken over us. Uh, Tanya, I, I wonder if you might speak to a question that uh, Shelley has put in the comments. And uh, the question is about how to encourage our adult children who are not believers. Uh, what are some things that we can say to people that we love who are not believers that don't sound cliche, is what, uh, what Shelley's asking. How do you encourage people who are not believers? Yeah, that can be, that can be tough some days. Um, and, and honestly, probably the majority of my patients that I see are not believers. Um, I think the important thing is to... Um, you know, listen, hmm. you want to listen to your, to your children, to what they're saying. Um, we want to, we want to listen for understanding, not listen to respond. We want to listen to try to understand them and acknowledge where they are. Um, acknowledging and validation for people are very, very important. Validating their feelings and their thoughts that in turn is going to help them listen to you and to try to understand where you're coming from and your viewpoint as well. Validation for others is, is so, so important. Excellent. And uh, Debbie, we have another question that came in and I, I'll address this one to you. Uh, Gold Levine Kapka, it's good to see you. Gold, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. And uh, Gold asks, how can you build up a child spiritually and psychologically with all the peer pressure 
when they believe so much of the negative words their friends have spoken over them? How, do you, how can you build a child up spiritually and psychologically? Right. Um, just from uh, my own experience and from reading, I, I don't have any, any, any clinical experience, um, but I have been asked many times. Um, we have four adult children who love and serve God and their spouses all love and serve God. And, and we just are so thankful. <laughs> God has been so good. Um, so what, you know, just from experience, uh, knowing that the child needs to know that home is a secure place, that they are loved, that, that home, you know, Pastor Joel, you talked, when you talked about identity, on Sunday, you talked about adoption and, and, you know, why adoption? Why is it such a big thing? Because we have an in, uh, he created us with this longing for belonging. And so home, even though there's lots of peer pressure, if home is a safe and joyful place, that is where they will always come to. And uh, so we've always had very deep conversations around the the dinner table many times about spiritual things we sang together as a family just for ourselves just you know when when we even as adults when we all get together there's always singing happening Uh, as a matter of fact when our son joel um, brought his uh, girlfriend home for the first time for us to meet her uh, our daughter natasha happened to be here at the same time and um, Joel got up when he comes home to visit. He loves to get up and cook breakfast. He likes, loves to cook a great big breakfast for everybody. And, uh, and he's always singing when he does it. And it's so Natasha, she got up and she's just sitting at the table watching him do it. And then all of a sudden, Megan, who is now Joel's wife, she comes into the kitchen and she just starts cutting and just starts joining him singing. And, and Natasha just looked at him, looked at her and said, Oh my goodness, you are my brother. <laughs> and, and, but that's what we do, right? That, that was how we did family. And um, so I just think it's so important um, to keep the atmosphere of the family home. And I'll be honest, I took a lot of that responsibility myself, mainly because it, not to say, I mean, Brian, nobody wakes up happier than in the morning than my husband. <laughs> he is a happy fanatic. Um, but I knew that if, um, you know, if Papa wakes up grumpy in the morning, I can have him singing before he leaves. And if the kids wake up grumpy in the morning, I can have them singing before they leave. But if I wake up grumpy in the morning, everybody's grumpy all day long. And, and so I, I recognize the role I played in that. And uh, so again, I just the attitude of the, of the home and that, that they want to come home. My kids still want to come home. I love that. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that sense of belonging, this is where I belong. I am complete here. This is family. And uh, it's just really important for us to, to foster that in our homes. Excellent. Uh, Debbie, that reminds me of when Tracy and I were getting married, do you know what I'm about to say? I do. I yeah, do know where about, you're going um, with this. My mother kind of gave you a word yes. before our wedding. She did. So at the bridal shower that they had for me uh, with the ladies there, one of the things that they asked all of them to do was to write 
a recipe or a piece of advice or something on a three by five card. And they gave me those at the end of the bridal shower. And Joel's mom had written one. And I wish I um, could find it. I probably can find it if I go digging through a closet. Mm. But it had um, just some really special words on it. But it it said um, to be the person he most wants to be with and make home the place he most wants to be. Mm. And um, those were just very sweet words. And it's been my joy to... Um, to be at home for most of our years with our kids uh, as they were growing up and hopefully made home the place they most wanted to be. Um, I would, would answer too to Gold with that question. If you know that your child is struggling because they're hearing things being said to them or about them by people um, at school and friends, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's disheartening and it's, it's so sad for us as moms when we hear that um, people who are supposed to be our kids' friends are actually saying negative things to them. But unfortunately, kids don't always understand the weight of their words to each other. Um, but if you know that, that something's being said to or about your child, I think just to even have that conversation and help them to acknowledge, is that information true? So that they can say to themselves and about themselves, so-and-so is saying this about me. Is it true? And if it's not true, help them to say it, to declare it, mm -hmm. so that they don't have that, that lie rolling around in their head without you even knowing it. You know how many times our kids have believed something that we didn't even know they were struggling with, and we weren't able to step in and help them process it appropriately and be able to correct that lie. But if you're able to have conversations with your kids, if, if you find out that they're starting to believe something that's not true. Help them process it so that they can say to themselves and about themselves, I know that that's not true information. So it doesn't sit there and grow. Excellent. That's good, that's good Tracy. Yeah, Excellent. really good. Uh, Tanya, one of the questions that comes to mind is something that you just mentioned a few minutes ago. You said that most of your patients are not followers of Jesus. And I, I wonder... Because you're trying to help people find spiritual, I mean, all victory is spiritual victory when it comes to uh, breakthroughs and identity and so forth. And that must be really challenging for you to be trying to help people build their lives on a solid foundation when they don't have that foundation in Christ. Is that something you could share about? It can, it can be difficult. Um... And I, I'm always listening for little inklings from my patients. The, some of them will say, you know, I used to go to church. Um, we went to church when I, I grew up in the church, but I stopped going. That's kind of a, um, that's an in for me a little bit to mm. start having a conversation with them about why, you know, why did you stop going? How did you feel when you were going? Um you know, if, if some, especially if someone grew up in a youth group and that was a, um, a good time in their life, um, what kinds of things did you do? Why did you feel like you belonged more at that point in time in your life? And I'll, and use things like that to, um, as a foundation to sometimes help move them back towards that. Um, I have used, um, celebrate recovery for some of my patients um, that are not believers, but they have struggled with various, some of them substance abuse, some of them not, some, um, you know, celebrate recovery is for everyone. Um, and I'll use that and I will tell them it's a, it's a faith-based program. Um, so 
because I don't want them to be blind going into it. Um, I want them to know what to expect. But I have had some people that have decided to go. Um, so I will use programs, um, Teen Challenge. I've used Teen Challenge um, as well. Uh, so I listen for little, little inklings of information if they grew up in the church. Um, some of my other patients, if I once I get to know them pretty well, um, if I feel like it's a you know it's it's a safe thing where I can have that conversation with them, I will start talking talking to them about um, maybe finding a church to go to, trying to connect with other people to um, form those relationships um, that they're not finding in other places. Uh, but yes, it, it, it can be challenging some days and it's, sometimes it's just heartbreaking because, um, I know that they could find the support, um, that they're looking for. Mm. Um, sometimes there's just a refusal to, to do it and to get involved. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Uh, we have another question that came in from Denny that our, our behind-the-scenes people forwarded to me. The Bible says that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So how do I stay humble without speaking those words over myself? Uh, and so, uh, Denny, great question. I think, you know, the Bible says that we are sinners in need of a Savior, but that's one of the problems is we own that identity when, what did we study on Sunday, Ephesians chapter 1 and what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1? We looked at this on Sunday. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he says to the saints in Ephesus. He doesn't say to the sinners in Ephesus, even though they are sinners saved by grace. But he says to the saints in Ephesus. And if you call yourself over and over again as a believer who has been forgiven, your sins are washed clean. If you continue to identify as a sinner rather than a saint... That could be a stronghold, right? That, that uh, Because we're not owning the identity, the holiness that God has called us to. And uh, I just, when I was in Ephesians 1, as I was turning my Bible there, there was another verse that stood out to me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That's just in the page right before that. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let yourself be yoked again, Galatians 5.1 says, to that yoke of slavery. That Jesus sets us free from the yoke of slavery. But then we have to be careful not to go right back into those old habits, into those old patterns. And uh, it reminds me, uh, Tracy and Debbie would know this as well, that uh, over the years, probably a book that I have recommended more than any other book other than the Bible itself is Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness. And Neil tells this fantastic story about when he was a young man in the Navy and he got assigned to a boat, a ship, and the, the naval captain, the skipper, they called him, he said was a crusty old skipper. He was mean and ornery. And if people would come to him and tell him bad news, he would punish them for it. You know, so people would hide things from him because, uh, because of how he would punish them. And, 
and how unreasonable he would be. And it was just a reign of terror on their Navy ship. And so they learned to operate under that skipper in a particular way, in an unhealthy way. But then they had a new skipper that got assigned when that skipper was either removed or retired or something. I don't remember exactly what happened to him. But when he left the boat and a new skipper came on, their new leader was a good leader. He was loving and generous and uh, consistent and helpful. And he wanted to know the truth. If there were issues, he wanted for them to be open and honest with him so that they could work those things through. And, but the problem was, Neil Anderson says in his book, we kept operating under the new skipper in the same way that we operated under the old skipper. That what we did initially, because we hadn't learned to trust him yet, is we lied to him. We withheld the truth from him. We tried to avoid him. And so we continued in our unhealthy habits, even though there was a new skipper on the boat. And I think that's, that's what I think of, Denny, when you ask that question too, is so much of the identity that we wrestle with is we get in these unhealthy habits because we fail to recognize that there's a new skipper in our life. We have a new master. We used to serve the world and the world is a cruel master. And so we learn to tell lies and protect ourselves and, and we get into these unhealthy habits and behaviors and we make these inner vows that we talked about earlier. And because of that, what happens many times when people come to Christ, we have a new leader. We have a new skipper on the boat and yet we continue to treat God the same way that we treated our former master in the world. And, uh, and so, so many of these, I think, identity things, so many of these negative behaviors also come from not only our lack of seeing our identity in Christ and knowing who we are, what the Bible says is true of us, not just what the world says or what we've believed about ourselves, but more than that, that we can't really fully understand who we are until we learn to understand who God is, to learn to trust him as the new skipper in our life. And when we start to learn to trust him, things start to change, right? Like all of a sudden we move from unhealthy behaviors to healthy behaviors. And the only way to know what God says about you and what God says about himself so that you can know what your new skipper is like is to get into his word, to get know his truth. And so anyway, uh, we've got a, another question that came in from Krista. How do you feel the sense of belonging when you haven't grown up in that environment? Krista asks, how do you feel what we're talking about in scripture? I think Krista's asking when maybe you grew up in an environment that was completely counterproductive to that. Well, um, I would say um, ever since the fall of man and when, when man was, was literally kicked out of the garden because of sin, God's plan has been to restore mankind back to himself. And that's why I, I agree so strongly with, with what Pastor Joel was saying, um, that we are no longer sinners, we are saints I even have a hard time with people who say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Mm. 
That's that also is in the past. You mm-hmm. were saved by grace, yes, but now you are a saint. Um, but with the with with the restoration that God, what he what he has done as Father, because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and and God uh, would walk and talk with them in the garden, he was more than just uh, a friend. He was their father figure. He was their God. He was he 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 was everything to them. But so when they left the garden and they no longer had that relationship, the orphan spirit set into all of mankind, which uh, is associated with their sinful nature. Sinful nature. Debbie, could you unpack that for just a second? You said something powerful, and I, d- okay. I don't want people to miss that phrase. You said an orphan spirit. What does that mean? Well, we, as as Adam and Eve, were used to associating with God the Father by communicating with Him. They walked and talked with Him in the garden. They actually recognized His footsteps above every other creature that was in the garden. They, they, oh, that's God walking in the garden. That's when they said we had to hide because that was when their sin was revealed. But they were so intimate with him that they actually recognized his footsteps. Hmm. So, but then they, they're kicked out of the garden because of their sin. They no longer have that sense of belonging. They know they, they no longer have that sense of home. They have to recreate everything from the, from the ground up. Everything is new to them. And that's why uh, I mentioned earlier, we have this, this sense in us for seeking for belonging. And that's what the orphan spirit does. It, it keeps us wanting, wanting more, wanting to be filled. We keep looking for that one thing that's going to satisfy us and fill us, not realizing that it's the father, it's the father's love. Uh, and God created family for us to understand relationships. Um, and, and one of my favorite things that, that I heard actually just recently, we, we all know the Lord's prayer, uh, and, and, you know, um, our father who art in heaven, right. And then thy kingdom come. And what that tells us is that the father has a kingdom, but more than that, it tells us that the kingdom has a father. Woo. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we have a father, we have a place a father who has a heart of love for us. One of our um, slogans, if you will, in Cleansing Stream is, if Jesus is the way, then what's the destination? Mm. And the destination is the father's heart, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. Our journey is to get us to the father's heart, to know and understand the depth of his love. Pastor Joel, you said that so beautifully today at noon uh, when you talked about the width and the, and the depth and the height and the, mm-hmm. you know, those four things, mm-hmm. <laughs> those four things that measure, you know, and you said that it doesn't, how, it doesn't matter how vast we stretch the universe, how big we can think or go, it still doesn't contain all the love of God. Mm. And, um, and so that's, yeah, that's what I, that's how I would unpack that. We, we have, we, we need to know the love of God and it's not just the, oh, the word is so beautiful. I love the word. Mm. It's so beautiful and it's so powerful. 
Um, but we need to not just know the word, we need to encounter the word. We need to have an encounter with Father. We need to understand what stillness is about, that he can come in and transform our lives and our hearts toward him. And it, it's, we, there's nothing better mm. than encounter with Father God. The, the knowing, the feeling, you know, Jesus said, you know, blessed are you who see me and you, you can touch me and you feel me and I'm right here with you and you believe and that's wonderful. But then there are those who will not see me and they will still believe. But he didn't mean that we would never, did, he didn't mean that we can't feel him, that we can't be so aware of his presence in the room mm. that it changes us. Um, we might not see with our physical eyes, but we can see him. We can see his mighty hand at work in our lives and in the lives of others. We can feel his presence. Uh, we can walk in his truth and in his spirit. The Bible says we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Mm. And, and that's, that's tangible. That's real. We can walk in that. And it's beautiful. God has supplied all of our needs, mm. all of them. And uh, that's first and foremost, you know, happens when, when we encounter him, when we, when we really know who the father is and who Jesus is and that Jesus is enough and he pr has provided everything for us, including the restoring of that relationship back to the father. Good stuff. <laughs> <It's so beautiful. laughs> Good stuff. And, and I want to mention with that as well, uh, if you did not get a chance to watch the message from this past Sunday where we really got into Ephesians chapter one and the beginning there, and we talked about this idea of what it means to be adopted into the family of God, what it means to be redeemed, what it means to be marked with a seal, these things that are so foundational to our identity in Christ that are found here in Ephesians chapter one that we're studying this week. And so if you missed that, right here on this Facebook page for Moncton Wesleyan, you can scroll down uh, after we're done here, and, uh, and watch that message to be able to unpack that a little more. Uh, I'm, I'm going to close with a question here, but I want to mention one more thing, Debbie. When you said that, it, it reminded me of something that someone here uh, prayed for me last week, and it just made me smile. And, and I mentioned it to Pat, and he had heard it before. And so I think in some circles, this is kind of a common expression, but I had never heard it before. And I thought it was the cutest thing. And it really uh, summarized what I think what we're talking about is Christy prayed for me and she prayed that I would know the goodness of God, that I would know like all the things that we're talking about. And she said, and that you would know deep down in your knower. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where your knower is, uh, but that you would know down in your knower. And uh, it reminds me of what we looked at today in our noon Bible study on my Facebook page, uh, Joel Gorvat, that uh, I, I, we, we looked at your innermost being is the way that Paul defines that. He said that you would know in your innermost being what God says of you. And so we're going to go ahead and start to wrap this up here to in, in just a few moments. And I want to give, before we pray for folks, I want to give an opportunity for any of you to say any closing words. If, you know, here in this opportunity where you have so many people who are with us live right now or, or who will watch this 
in the coming days and weeks as we leave this for people to, to stumble across and, and watch this evening's time together. And so are there any closing words that any of you have for our folks out there this evening that you just really feel like you wish they could know down in their knower or in their innermost being? Uh, one of the things that uh, came to my mind when I was thinking about uh, sharing tonight was a book that I read a couple of years ago by Lisa Turkhurst, and it was called Made to Crave. And in that book, she primarily is focusing on her own health journey uh, with food and her relationship with food. But when I read the book, that wasn't something I was, um, was struggling with, but I got the book anyway. And when I read it, I looked at it more as um, the spiritual side of things. So one of the things that she said that hit me really hard that can be true for our physical bodies, but also from a spiritual perspective is we crave what we eat. Mm. So if we're constantly feeding our body junk food, believe it or not, the way that junk food is made, it's made to cause us to crave more of it. Mm. And so we're not going to want the broccoli and the, you know, the chicken breast and the brown rice. We're going to want the hamburger from McDonald's. And I can speak from experience. We used to live pretty close to a Burger King. And man, I love a Whopper Jr. <laughs> and uh, I found that if I would regularly go through that drive through and pick one up, uh, I just, I would want another one the next day and the next day and the next day. But spiritually speaking, um, that's true as well. And that was something that the Lord uh, spoke to me in that book. And so if you find that you're in a place in your life, um, and Krista, I really can, I, I, I can, can identify here with your question about belonging, because I had a period of time where I just, I felt like where I was was a place where I, I didn't belong. I didn't feel like I really had many friends that uh, I could relate to. I just didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere uh, in that particular place where I was in life. And, and that lie kind of sat in my head and just kind of rolled around a lot. And I, I really struggled. And finally, the thing that happened was, um, I decided to talk to God about it. Mm. I, I mean, sometimes I'll just talk to myself about a problem and I get nowhere. And I decided to finally talk to God about it. And what he came back to me with was a very simple statement, but I've always remembered it. And I hope to always remember it. And he just said, you belong with me. Mm. And, and that's so true. I'm looking for belonging with this group of people and that group of people. And, and I want these, this group of people over here to invite me in and to want me to be part of their group. But, but God had to remind me, it doesn't matter with all of those other people. It doesn't matter. Where I need to know that I belong is with him. And, and if it's only him, that's enough. That's enough. Um, but when it comes to that uh, craving what you eat, if, you're, if you realize that you're in a place where you're not eating well spiritually, um, change that. I had gotten to a, a point uh, in that time where I wasn't listening to Christian music anymore on the radio. I was only listening to other radio stations, and I had to make myself get back to listening to Christian music so that I was putting spiritually uh, beneficial nutrients back into, into my body and into my mind and into my heart. And I had to start, you know... Um, reading Christian books and, and intentionally choosing things that were going to be healthful and helpful for me um, instead of really spiritual junk food. Excellent. Anything else to add? I was just thinking along the same lines of the belonging piece and in response to Krista's question about how I think sometimes it's important to find someone um, that, that, is able and willing to speak those truths into our lives. Um, 
and to and to build that relationship and it starts there someone that's going to be honest but gentle and truthful and help to build up our sense of worth um and then in turn we're able to grow and do that for other people and i think that's one of the reasons why home groups are so important um because we can find that circle of people who are able to speak to our identities um, and the things that are important so that we're not always um, apt to listen to the, the negative piece. Mm. So the, the idea that you tend to become who you hang around. Kind of. Uh, I, the yeah. way that we always said it with our kids is it's the power of positive peer pressure. And we think of peer pressure being a negative thing, but that just depends who you're surrounding yourself with. If you're surrounding yourselves with, with people who are positive and godly and spiritually mature, and then peer pressure is the greatest thing ever in that context. It's the power of positive peer pressure. Well, and Joel, I always think of um, one thing that I heard you say one time was always have a cruddy buddy. Mm, right. <laughs> You have right. your cruddy buddy, somebody that you're, right. you're, you know, you're speaking truth to and, um, and building that person up and helping them uh, in their own identity to not believe the lies anymore and to come to know truth in Ex a greater way. Exactly. Yeah, you're 100% right that we need people who are further ahead in their spiritual journey to mentor us. And then we also need people in our lives who are behind us in their spiritual journey who we can pour into. And uh, if all we do is receive from others, then that's not healthy. And if all we do is give to others, that's not healthy, that we need both. We need people who are pouring into us and we need to be pouring into other people who are further behind in the journey. Thanks for that reminder. That's fantastic. Good job. Uh, I would just close. Um by really encouraging everyone to just seek more, to really pursue the things of God. It, it breaks my heart. Like I, I really think my heart bleeds when I hear people say, um, I just can't read the word of God. I just don't get anything out of the Bible. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, because it's life. It's life to us. And if you feel that way, if that is your truth, and I'm not arguing that it's not, it can, certainly can be your truth, what I, I really want to encourage you to just seek, seek, seek more, because that's not God's heart for you. God's heart for you is to know him intimately. Um, I pray increase over myself every day. I pray increase in intimacy with mm -hmm. Jesus every day. I pray increase in the power of the Holy Spirit in me every day. And I pray increase for my effectiveness in the kingdom of my father mm. every day, because I want to fulfill all the purposes that God has for me. And he has a plan for you and he has for me and he has a plan for you. And, um, and he wants to reveal that to you. He wants you to hear from him. And you can hear his voice and you can hear from him. Uh, and he wants to fill you up with all of himself. And it's just such a beautiful place to be. And so if you're not living that, then I just, 
I just encourage you to keep seeking because it's what he wants for you. Mm. It's what he wants for you. So if you seek it, you will find it. And um, uh, it's just something that someone said to me years and years ago that made a huge impact on me. And that is that most of us believe that we are human beings with a spiritual component. Mm. But the actual truth is we are spiritual beings with a human component. And if we can learn to think on that level all the time, which is what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. Mm. Uh, Philippians 2.13, the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. And if we just continue to reach out and to seek and to just ask the Father to just fill us with himself, ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with himself, um, everything that Jesus died to give us, if we would just learn to appropriate all that, um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Just that the journey of pursuing, the journey of of more, more of him. Um, That Jesus promised that. He promised the abundance, the fullness of knowing who who we are in, in God, in Christ. And there's just, I believe there's so much for, I I look forward to my journey of more. I know he has so much more for me and I know he has so much more for you. And I I just want to encourage you in that. I just, I want to rejoice with you in that. I want to hear your testimony and your story of all God's doing and showing you. And, uh, and so I bless you in that. I bless you for more. And uh, I just have enjoyed sharing with you tonight. And so just God bless you all. Excellent. Well, that is fantastic. And so With that in mind, uh, let me close with the prayer of Paul for you that he prayed for the Ephesians. And so uh, I want to pray this over you as we draw things to a close this evening for everybody who's with us online. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking, in, in terms of prayer, I keep asking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If we have to pray for people to receive more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, what that means is they either don't have it or they need more of it. And so that's our prayer, first of all, that you would know The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then verse 18, and I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you're no longer in darkness. Enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that for everyone with us this evening, that they would know the hope to which they have been called, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see truly how wide and how deep and how, uh, how tall and how vast is the great love of Jesus and what you have done for us. And so we look forward to what you have for us in the coming weeks in this series. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you to everybody for joining us. Thank you, special guests. We're so glad that you spent this time with us this evening. And I'll just remind everybody out there as well, one of the questions that came in was, 
are we gonna do this every week? And the answer is yes for this series. We're going to have a panel like this every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Atlantic, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And so we'll see you right here every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 Atlantic time here at Moncton Wesleyan. God bless you. Thanks for joining us tonight.